As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrow and Lisa Abramowitz. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, geopolitics, finance, and investment. Subscribe to Bloomberg Surveillance On Demand on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And always on Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. This is a joy, and it's particularly a mathy joy, because Carl Riccadonna of the aerospace engineering persuasion knows the glide paths that are out there. The glide paths in economics are usually described through adverbs. In in a paragraph in his recent report, he really nails this. He's with BNP Paribas and their chief U.S. economist. You nail this strange word sufficiently. We are sufficient. We are getting there. Disinflation is now sufficiently in trend. Describe the sufficiently that Jerome Powell has to confront Wednesday. Sure. Well, there's a, there's a tension there, but on the sufficiently side, uh, we're seeing evidence of sufficiently restrictive monetary policy in that we're not just seeing disinflation or deflation, important distinction you drew earlier on the program, uh, not just seeing it in energy prices. Uh, we've seen that spread into goods prices, which tells us a little bit about supply chain healing, uh, but now important we're seeing it where it really counts. And that means we're seeing it on the service side of the CPI, uh, both in rents and finally, just in the last couple of months, uh, we're seeing this in what now is being called super core uh, inflation, which is core services, X housing and, and, and shelter costs. We yearn for an ex ante get out front Fed. Baloney, there's no evidence of that uh, since biblical history. They're ex post. How far behind are they going to be when they get the sufficient courage up to accommodate? Well, I don't think they have the courage just yet. And because the, the, the factor in the back of their minds that's haunting them is the mistakes made in the 1970s uh, under Arthur Burns. Uh, and that was a Fed that knew what prescription was needed, uh, but lacked the conviction to keep the, the bitter medicine in place for long enough Uh, And as the Fed's determining whether policy has been restrictive for long enough, I think they think that it's sufficiently restrictive. Now it's just a matter of keeping that policy in place for a sufficiently long time. We'll use those adverbs you uh, highlighted, Tom. Uh, And and the thing that's haunting them is the fact that wage inflation is not uh, back towards kind of what would be a 2% consistent level for uh, broader inflation. And whether we look at the ECI or last Friday's average hourly earnings numbers, uh, we're simply not moving in the right direction swiftly enough to say, Sure thing, let's start uh, accommodating policy uh, sooner. Why didn't Jay Powell push back more then? 
I think he has pushed back in uh, recent comments. Uh, he said it was premature to be thinking about uh, the timing of uh, rate cuts with any amount of uh, conviction. So it was a bit of a diplomatic answer. Uh, but I think we'll see those kind of hawkish undertones uh, in both the communique uh, and also the uh, press conference uh, later this week. You have to think in the back of your mind, Jerome Powell has been someone very focused on financial conditions. Yeah. Financial conditions have eased tremendously, and that restricts the amount uh, or the degree to which the Fed can pivot towards uh, a more moderate tone. They have to keep some vestige of this tightening bias or uh, hawkish concerns about inflation in place this week. Let's get away from predicting what they may or may not say or do and talk about the actual economic backdrop. Mm -hmm. There is a question about whether they are going to be late and whether this is going to essentially cause a recession. Whether the bias now to not go to the transitory debacle means that we're going to get a recession <clears throat> just by virtue of them not cutting rates in response to disinflation and to weakness. Is that your base case at this point? Just because we are seeing a tightening in financial conditions, we are seeing people start to push back a little bit. And the theory is, at this point, you could actually start to see higher rates bite in a more mean meaningful way. We definitely are seeing higher interest rates bite in a more meaningful way, as you highlight. And I think we'll see that in the retail sales numbers on Thursday. We're looking for about a, a 0.5 decline at the headline in retail sales. Now, wow. part of that is lower energy prices and whatnot. Uh, but if you pay attention to what's happening to consumers, uh, the excess savings story is largely washed out for lower and middle income households. Uh, at the same time, higher rates, we may have come <coughs> off of the peaks on 10-year yields and whatnot. Uh, but if you look at what households are diverting towards interest payments. So, yes, uh, most households locked in those low mortgage rates during the pandemic. But if you look at everything else, whether it's car loans or HELOCs or credit cards or whatnot, uh, the interest coverage for those is increasing pretty appreciably. That tells you that Fed policy is still kind of working its way through the system okay. and we haven't felt peak <clears throat> restriction. Now, in terms of getting the, the pivot right, monetary policy acts with a long and variable lag. Uh, that lags probably 12 months, and that means it's going to be very hard to yeah, kind of stick the landing. Like, so Sounds like he's from Chicago. Maybe not recession. Maybe not recession next year, but I think the landing could be bumpier than people are uh, anticipating okay, at the moment. Bumpier from a GDP basis or bumpier from race? Because what's in the zeitgeist this weekend is, yeah, they're going to come down disinflation. Oops, we reverse and we have a reflation. Is well, that, that's the scenario that? they want to avoid, and the evidence pointing in that direction would be those sticky wage pressures that haven't improved yet. I think so it's, it's just we, all about the job market. It's about the job market, but also the inflation numbers, and we've gotten used to this very immaculate disinflation over the course of Q3 and the an early parts of Q4. Market? I think that the inflation is going to look a lot less immaculate in Q1. In other words, Q1 could look a bit like the mirror image of Q3 of last year and that we see slower growth and more persistent inflation pressures. I'm not saying that the trend is reversing. It's still moving broadly lower. But I think over the last few months, it looked more like 2%-ish inflation. And I think it'll look more 3%-ish over the next few months. A slowdown is sort of the perfect scenario that a lot of people are looking for who are bullish on risk assets. Is that basically what you're pointing to? Is just a pause to allow things to cool and then everybody can get going again, which is essentially the bull case that we keep hearing from Eddie Ardeni and others. We need slower growth to continue to rein in those imbalances in the economy and in turn the wage pressure story. Uh, and for that to play out perfectly 
in the first half of the year, I think is a possible scenario, but not necessarily the most plausible scenario. So I think there will be some some tough sledding, some bumpiness there, what does as that the mean? Fed makes it clear uh, that we're not in the you know we're not uh, free and clear yet to start uh, reducing uh, interest rates as swiftly as maybe uh, market participants think. And I think uh, we'll see some imbalances in the labor market, some challenges on the growth well. front. And as you think about the overall earnings trajectory, right, it's ultimately a function of top line growth and pricing power. And if you're talking about a moderating pace of economic activity and cooling inflation pressures, that's still a challenging dynamic for earnings. This was a sufficiently good interview. Carl Riccadonna, thank Thank you so much. In shock is Sarah Hunt. Chief Market Strategist at Alpine Saxon Woods. But you and I, we followed Ed Yardeni for years, and this is what he does with an economics and investment. He extends out the x-axis. Do you have the visibility to go out past 4th of July next year? I think it's tough to have the visibility to go out that far, to be honest. I think it really is going to depend a lot on how we start the beginning of next year. The equity markets got very excited at the end of September and the beginning of October thinking, you know what, the Fed is done, rates are going to come down, and that's going to solve a lot of problems. I mean, you've got a story in the Bloomberg this morning about how fast rates have to come down because a lot of companies are going to be starting to refinance in 24 and 25. And the question is, even if you started in June, you're not going to start with 2% down. You're going to start if you start a little bit. I'm not sure we're going to start in June. I think that that's right. a, I think that's a big question. And then you get into the political calendar. So the question of timing becomes an issue. And you still have all these people waiting for lower rates. And that's been very positive for equities. Dovetail what we heard from Sarah House of Wells Fargo, which is a cautious view on real GDP, with the enthusiasm of corporations are going to move forward, move on to a greater bull market. Can you have a greater bull market if you get subdued economic growth? I don't think you can. And I think that's the biggest question of 2024 is where growth is going to go. And can earnings really hold up or grow 11% or 12% in 2024 when we have that come down of inflation where some of the earnings that were higher were because of higher revenues because of inflation. You had this sort of rolling and and a rolling global recession or a rolling global slowdown, rolling slowdown in sectors in the U.S. Now China's on the slower end. If they stimulate, is that going to help? Is it enough to change the process of next year? And can we keep margins where they are? I think all these questions are unanswered. So I think that that's it. It's tough to roll into an idea of where earnings are going to be when you don't know the answer to those questions. With the outlook that you just put out there, it makes me think maybe you're rotating out of stocks and going more into bonds. I think there's a real place for bonds. And I think the question of how fast rates come down, I mean, a lot of investors are more interested in having more of a balanced portfolio than they were. You've got this, this goes back to the tension of are we going back to a pre-financial crisis world where rates can have some sort of meaningful aspect in your portfolio. Where they settle is going to be the question, but we're not going back to zero. And I think the equity markets are getting excited that rates are coming down and maybe they're coming down a lot further than people expect them to. I don't really know where that answer is yet. I don't think anybody does. One of your highest convictions this year has been the energy uh, stock trade. And right now we're looking at a sort of surprise decline in price, which is particularly surprising given the disruption that we've seen and the Hamas-Israel war. How much 
do you still lean into that? Do you still think that oil companies are a good buy here? So I think the biggest issue for this year has been much bigger supply than anybody was expecting. I think Paul Sankey did a great job talking about that a couple of days ago. The fact that everybody expected more barrels to come off the market, both from Russia and Iran, and, and the fact that they really didn't, and then other people increased supply, robust demand has been fairly robust. If you get a really big slowdown, that's going to hit the demand side. So it's tough. But I still think longer term, you've got good dividend yields and you've got a longer tail on hydrocarbons, and that is going to be meaningful. I look at the hydrocarbons, I'm like, okay, they had a bad month, they had a bad week. I look at the banks, and I guess we could talk forever about that. All anybody's talking about are these super growers we have with 30, 40, and 50 multiples on them. That's not in the textbooks, is it? Do they do year two as the biggest surprise here? They just keep going? I think it's, well, it's the, those kind of multiples are not in the textbook, no, but they really did have fantastic earnings this year, and, and Cameron Dawson's been quick to point that out, right, like how fast they were growing. The question then becomes, can they keep that up? And if the delta is negative, if I'm growing, but I'm growing more what slowly. What do you mean by delta is negative? You if, mean if the, the rate of change? If, if the rate of change yeah. is negative, so okay. that I'm growing, but I'm it's growing less fast. <laughs> Somebody briefer. I'm growing, I'm growing less fast. <clears throat> do I deserve that 30 or 50 multiple? And, the, and I don't know the answer to that question because it depends on how fast we grow. I don't see it that fast. I like that you're just honest about this. And we've seen all these projections about, you know, this is what we expect to happen in 2024. This is what we expect to happen in 2025. And it's almost the curse of having to come out with a full year strategy. But if you had to, what would you be looking at toward the end of next year? I think one of the things that's been surprising is that with the strength of the labor market, you haven't seen wages increasing as fast as people predicted that they would. So when people say the labor market is still is still very strong, yes, but wages aren't increasing that much. If we can keep a labor market with an unemployment rate that's fairly low, and I don't know what that number is, and you don't see as much wage acceleration, then that's going to help on the margin side. It's not going to help on the <coughs> consumer side, right? Because there's a tension to that because people aren't getting paid as much. And you go look at food, you know, Inflation may be coming down, but going to the supermarket doesn't feel any better for anybody. And so I think that those are the kinds of things that make it difficult to say spending is going to be completely robust on the consumer side next year. Can I just say thank you? Because she knows, uh, Sarah knows that I like the smell of pine trees when I walk by. So she got me pine tree. You didn't get those in Pine Tree, Vermont this weekend? (laughs) I'm going to share. I'm going to share with you. you We'll light our candles. The general. and Think about what's ahead. She went to the place they did White Christmas this weekend. I heard. Saying, saw <laughs> Rosemary Clooney. Yeah. So they're, they're, are you going to unwrap them so we can smell the pine? Or? Yeah, so the audience can smell the pine? Yes, we'll do that. Yeah, so we'll do that in the next episode. They can smell it on TV, not radio. <laughs> Sarah Hunt, thank you so much. Alpine, Saxon Woods here. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.
In December and on to a new January of Iowa caucuses and New Hampshire primaries, Greg Vellier briefs this morning, Chief U.S. Policy Strategist at AGF. Uh, Greg, Lisa wants to talk about the various and sundry wars we're in. Uh, I need to talk to you about the war that's coming in the presidential election. Is it that Trump's ahead or is it that Biden's behind? I think it's more the latter than anything else. Uh, just listening to the sound bites over the weekend, Tom, were just cringe-inducing, really, from both Biden and Trump. If we're if we're in for another eleven months of this, it, this this is cruel and unusual punishment for the American voter who still thinks there's a chance for somebody else. There's somebody else out there, but it's not going to be decided, I would believe, at the Iowa caucus or the the uh, New Hampshire primary as well. Where are we in February after those January political events? Well, Trump will win, obviously, in Iowa, but maybe not by quite as much as people had, had expected. Uh, I think that he is, will be the presumptive nominee by the middle of the spring. That's not a real courageous call on my part. But with the Democrats, I, I still think there could be a surprise. Maybe this guy from um, Minnesota, this House member, he's way behind, but he's different. He's new. Uh, even Robert Kennedy, who's pretty exotic in his views, uh, has attracted some attention. I think I sense a lot of Democrats uh, who, not just David Axelrod, who are desperately looking for someone else. Greg, your language is really colorful this morning. Cruel and unusual punishment for the American people <laughs> if this has to continue. Right. And the exotic views of uh, Representative Kennedy, I am wondering how much you think uh, the likelihood of President Biden stepping aside for another candidate is tied into some of the military conflicts that the U.S. is currently supporting or involved with. Well, there's two big stories, uh, Lisa, that you allude to. Number one is uh, the, the trouble that Trump will have with his son. This is going to go on and on, and it's an embarrassment. It's a distraction. It's a plus for Trump. Uh, but the other big story is uh, who lost Ukraine. I, I think that could be a, a devastating story uh, for the Washington in general, if we can't get money for Ukraine and it looks unlikely this week, maybe they'll get a pittance, uh, maybe they'll get a haircut, but I, I don't see a huge chunk of money coming for Ukraine and Vladimir Putin has to be very happy. Vladimir uh, Zelensky is coming to Washington, D.C. this week, I believe on Wednesday, to talk directly with Congress members, including House Speaker Johnson, to try to plead his case. Over the weekend, there was a lot of discussion about how essentially this comes down to funding, and if Ukraine doesn't get funded, they're going to lose. And that was what a lot of people were talking about, especially because Russia is putting about 40% of its budget into the military. Do you agree with that assessment that this is sort of the turning point where if Ukraine doesn't get aid, it kind of ends? I guess I'd say it all depends on the definition of lose. I don't think Ukraine is going to lose the war anytime soon, but they're clearly on the defensive. They're backpedaling. Uh, they've not had a good winter. Uh, they lack supplies. So I, I would say that the momentum right now is with Russia. And if that's true, what does Vladimir Putin think about Estonia, Lithuania, Latvia? Does he think about other Central European countries that might be next? Greg, the news over the weekend on Gaza was just absolutely grim. There's no other way to put it. It's a point where it's almost subsumed within the media because of just the, the weight of the grimness as well. What is the action the administration can do this week? I don't, I don't see a lot. I, I don't see uh, much that we can do. Uh, we could send uh, more aid, but I think if it's tied to Ukraine, 
that's not going to happen until after the new year uh, begins. No, it's it's. I do think though that in terms of the Arab street and the world in general, the Israelis maybe only have a few weeks left before they totally lose yeah. support. I think the window is starting to close on the Israelis. They've got to wrap this up pretty quickly. Um, Lisa, jump in here, please. Well, I'm just curious. Uh, there was so much discussion over the weekend about the university presidents, the potential resignation yes, thank you. Thank of Harvard's president after what we saw from UPenn. I'm just curious. We're hearing that a lot of conservatives are saying we told you so and that universities have been constraining freedom of speech for a long time and that this is just one example. How much do you actually see Democrats joining with that versus sort of voyeuristic arguments being made around this? And good word, voyeuristic. I, I don't see anything that is uh, that's going to change the political landscape uh, quickly. But it is an embarrassment for the for the Ivy League, and I think that will persist uh, for a while. One other thing, really quickly, the abortion fight in Texas has long term implications. I think that more and more. Right. People will be looking at this saying that this is not right. Greg, thank you so much. Greg Vellier with a Monday eclectic brief. There are many, many different topics here, including what we see uh, in uh, Ukraine. Joining us now with the biggest shoes to fill on Wall Street, Max Layton with Jeff Curry at Goldman Sachs and now with Ed Morse at Citigroup, Global Head of Commodity Research. Max, I'm going to cut to the chase. You and Mr. Morse, Dr. Morse, had the call of the year. Everybody was looking for oil resiliency, oil higher. You guys went south. How far south from Brent 75 can we now head? Sure. I, I, we think overall a lot of the move is done. Uh, and, you know, OPEC Plus is doing some work uh, to rebalance the market in the first quarter. And, and you know, our base case is they'll be successful in doing that. Um, the pressure increases for them to roll these cuts forward through the remainder of the year, actually. We forecast around a million barrel a day surplus for the second quarter and around an overall surplus of about 0.6 million barrels a day through the whole of 2024. So, you know, these cuts do need to be maintained to balance the market through the course of next year in, in our kind of base case global growth environment. In the base case, what is the relationship of Saudi Arabia to oil producing Russia and Iran? Sure. Well, obviously there's a there's a, a lot of um, complex factors going on with the uh, political relationships between these countries. Overall, Saudi's taken the brunt of the cuts um, so far, and uh, you know Russia is contributing, and we expect them to continue to do so. Um, they've been pretty um, forthright in what they want to do and in their expectations of countries um, meeting their quotas through the first quarter. And overall, I think that these, you know, when you look at the trade-off um, of the OPEC plus countries, they essentially maintain the existing cuts, um, have some incremental compliance, and they can balance this market and keep this price at seventy to eighty dollars if they if they work together. The alternative is obviously substantial spare capacity gets ramped up into, and prices could be down thirty, forty. You know, even even 50% if all of that spec capacity comes back online. So I think the alternative is just so painful that it's most likely you get this kind of half a million barrel a day cut through the through the course of next year at the right price. So 
Well, hold $70, on a second. $80 is the right kind of price levels. I want to develop that a little bit, Max, because you're talking about a potential yeah, 50% price cut. That could be a $40 handle on uh, Brent yep. crude, even $35 on WTI. And this comes, as we heard from Paul Sankey last week, there is this risk that as the U.S. ramps up production and as Saudi Arabia loses share, market share, to the U.S., they'll flood the market. They'll just say, look, you guys are going to do this. Let's go and put all the barrels out there and get prices low enough that people start cutting production. What holds them back from doing that? Well, uh, I think obviously that, you know, that kind of price decline will hurt everybody's profits and revenues. Um, I think the, the, the stick uh, or, or the stick that Saudi has is quite effective in the sense that they have the ability to raise production by 20% themselves. So they could offset, for example, um, on paper, uh, a 20% decline in price with a big increase in their own production. Not many other, uh, frankly, very few other OPEC plus countries have the ability to do that. So it, in the worst case scenario, it's potentially least painful for Saudi Arabia and more painful for everybody else. So I, I do think that that, that dynamic makes the stick quite effective. Um, obviously, if there was a hard landing on the demand side, if non-OPEC supply continued to grow extremely strongly. And on that note, we do have a material slowdown sequentially in US growth in, in our forecast for, for the next 12 months. Most of the growth that we have is actually OPEC plus bringing back some barrels and or ramping up uh, over the next 12 months. So if you take that out of the market, if these cuts were extended, you're actually running a deficit in the first quarter if, if the quotas are as well uh, and, and, and overall if broadly the quotas are met because we are assuming some slippage to get our balance small you know 100,000 barrel a day surplus in the first quarter so it does appear that it's within OPEC plus's grasp um, to hold the market together in in the baseline but yeah look a hard landing on the demand side big surprises on the upside on supply um, less disruptions than normal perhaps yeah. OPEC might break but look I, I just I think you have to get into a pretty dark global growth environment to, 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 get, to even think about that. Which raises this question, are we in a narrower range? You said, you know, there could potentially yeah. be some sort of significant downside should production come back online, but you see that as improbable. So are we in a pretty narrow range after a lot of really massive swings over the past couple of years? Yeah, I mean, certainly uh, we think so. And positioning is extremely low now. The spreads have, have collapsed. Uh, and yet the price is being supported here. It's found some, you know, base here, we think, around $75. If anything, a base case is we, we bounce back over the next month or two. Um, prices stabilize a little bit here. Um, we, we think, you know, China's going to roll out a significant um, easing package. Significant as in to stabilize the ship, not significant as in a 10% easing as a share of GDP, but significant enough that the market thinks that China right. will be fine next year, be able to achieve four and a half, five percent GDP growth. Um, and you know, there's been some big builds lately that we expect to um, to stop. Essentially, we, we expect a reduction in the builds in inventory um, that we've seen over the last three weeks over the next couple of months. So we are expecting a stabilisation in prices um, from here in the short run. Well, Max, thank you so much and congratulations. Max Layton is global head of commodities for Citigroup. Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, tune in, 
and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.